real as we conclude our five-part series on Tobit. This is a crazy story. It is a crazy story that has so many elements, and this is why I really love the subtitle of this series. This is a divine love narrative for Hollywood and edification. Hopefully you kind of see the Hollywood elements of just of, of sexuality, of trauma, of death, of journey. There's so many elements that make a great dynamic blockbuster movie, and we see all those elements in this book that is in the original Bible. And that, that, that video kind of summarized, but here are some pictures that kind of summarize where we are in this video, so in this, in this narrative, in this book in the, in the, of the Bible. Beginning, we begin with suicidal prayers, suicidal thoughts, depression, despair from Daddy Tobit, from, from the dad in, the, in this narrative. He has, lost all dis, he has lost all hope, and he's coming with a vulnerable, broken heart to God, him having poop in his eyes, everything is falling apart in his life. He has no more dr drive to find meaning in this world. And then we see this narrative as his son coming back married and with money, and things are starting to come together for him at the end. So I want, now want to share with you the very last words that Tobit expresses as now he's gone from dis despair and depression to now the end of his journey of his son coming back as a newlywed with money, and, and, and now he's regained his sight. So now everything has come back full circle for him to regain hope and, and confidence on where he is in life. And I want to share, like, what would be the words of, like, how would you articulate your, your gratitude or how would you just process everything when you went from despair and depression to, to joy now that you've regained your sight and your son has come back alive? What are his words? And this is the timeless prayer that I want us to kind of digest and see the words in the heart of Daddy Tobit. Then Tobit, with exceeding joy, wrote a prayer saying, Blessed is God who lives unto the ages, and blessed is his kingdom. For he scourges and is merciful. He brings down into Hades and leads up. There is no one who will escape his hand. It's as if Tobit has fully realized, I thought God only works in this capacity, but then I realized there is nothing that's out of his capacity. There's nothing that's not an arm's length away from God. Like he realized the transcendence of God. He realized that the logic of God is beyond his logic. That there is no limitation to how God can work. He was he's able to finally grasp that. His first prayer was, why God? Why me? Why is this happening? But now he's realizing, now taking a full, like a high-level view, a 30,000 view of this narrative, how he sees everything coming together, now he's able to say, blessed are you, God, unto the ages, because you are above time, and you lead down into Hades, and you also bring up, in other words, this icon. This is the original icon of the Feast of Resurrection. This is the ancient depiction. Obviously, it's a modern painting or icon, but the, the elements of this icon is the original Easter or resurrection icon, which is Jesus in Hades lifting up those who have lost despair or those who have lost hope. This is the centerpiece of Christianity, regardless of how far we have drifted away from the source of life. He is there to, 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 to carry us, not by our, by our hand, like we talked about in the last series here at the 8, but from our wrist, that he's carrying us, even though we have no more energy left. When we come to him and just say, I'm weak, I can't do this anymore, this is where Jesus says, I got you, I got you. 
And this is where he lifts us up. And this is clearly depicted not only in Tobit's prayer, but in this ancient icon of the feast of resurrection. Tobit continues, If you return to him with all your heart and with all your soul to do the truth before him, then he will turn to you and not hide his presence from, from, from you. If you return to him with all your heart and with all your soul to do the truth before him, then he will turn to you. What is Tobit kind of processing in his prayer? He's he's kind of maybe praying out loud, maybe talking to himself. If I return to him and I keep my eyes on determining what is truth, not my own version of truth, not relativity, not individualism, but if I pursue the ethic of what is truth, if I pursue that wholeheartedly in every aspect of my life, this is where I can return to him. This is where I can find life. Behold for yourself what he will do for you. And give thanks to him fully with the organ of speech. Again, behold for yourself what he will do for you. He's basically, I don't know if he's talking to somebody or he's kind of processing things out loud in his prayer. He's like, behold for yourself what he will do. Like, I'm telling you, he's basically telling us, I'm telling you, the way God can work in your life is beyond your comprehension. But be attentive to see how he can put the, 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 the brokenness and anxiety and issues in our life, see how he can fit that together if we return to him. Behold for yourself what he will do for you. And give thanks to him fully with the organ of speech. He's saying, verbalize your, your story. Verbalize your testimony. Verbalize your narrative. Like, imagine if the culture of this world, the church, is that we describe with the organ of speech, yeah, you know what, I really struggled with this, but I found a lot of grace. Through that d- downtime in my life, I found, like, I, I really started to question where do I put my trust? I began to really question who I am. And this is where I started, that sparked my journey of finding what truth is. Imagine if we were open with the organ of speech. Tobit is saying, don't, don't let it just settle in your heart. Return to him wholeheartedly. But then articulate your journey, your story, your faith journey with the organ of speech. And give thanks to him fully with the organ of speech. Bless the Lord of righteousness and exalt the king of the ages. And the land of my captivity... I give thanks to him and make known his might and majesty to a nation of sinners. Many Gentiles will come from afar to the name of the Lord, bearing, Lord God, bearing gifts in their hands and offering to the king of heaven. Generations of generations will offer you joyful worship. There's an element of, 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 of prophecy in Tobit's prayer. What is he pointing at? Many Gentiles, Gentiles are those who didn't have a Judeo-Christian background or didn't have a Jewish upbringing. They had a different worldview. Many Gentiles, those of different cultures, different mindsets, different worldviews, will come from afar to the name of the Lord God, bearing gifts. This is prophetic of exactly what happened with the Magi coming to, to, to the birthplace of Jesus. They had a different worldview that, were, that was based on astrology, and they're come bearing gifts. Generations of generations will offer you joyful Worship. Blessed are those who love you. They will rejoice in your peace. Blessed are the many. Blessed are the many who grieved over all your scourges, for they will rejoice when they see all your glory and will rejoice forever. He's saying, blessed are those who endure the pain and hardships and brokenness that they're pushing through, because this will lead to joy, either in this temporal world or in the age to come. And I am a living testimony of that. 
That's what Tobit is saying. If you don't see the fruit of it now, you will see the fruit of it. But I'm telling you, if, you're, if the lens of your pain, of your hardship, if you look at it through the lens of saying, this is edifying me, and you're wanting to come to return to God, Tobit is saying, this is where you will find joy. This is where you will find life. Can I ask you a question maybe you're really thinking throughout this entire series? Is this story for real? No, for real. Is this, like, is this legit? Like, did this really happen, or is this really just a fairy tale? Like, are, 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 did, did really a woman got engaged seven times, and they all died on the wedding night? For real? Did, did a, a guy really get swallowed by a whale? Did, did the story of Jonah, for real? It, like, really, this happened? Like, a guy was in the belly of a whale for three days? Like, really, there, there's a guy who's really in disguise as an archangel? Really? Let's be real. Let's confront this question head on. Is this stuff for real? Or is it just like nice fairy tale and we just kind of, we don't question it and we just take it for what it's worth? I want us for the next 10 minutes to acquire the mind of the church. Let's take a step back now as we've come full circle in this narrative for us to understand the story of Tobit. Let us acquire the mind of the church. Why, why, why is this, this story in, 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 in the rituals of the church? This past Friday, in the tradition of, of liturgy, is reading the entire book of Tobit. Why does this exist? Why is this in the early centuries of the, in, in, in the Bible? Why is this? Like, if we acquire the mind of the church, then I can understand how is this supposed to be edif edifying to me. Like, but let's embrace these questions that maybe we're a little bit embarrassed to ask. But let us first ask the question, how do I acquire the mind of the church. There was a strategic reason why the early church, in, in, around the year 393, they said, you know what? We got all these great writings from Paul, the apostle. We got all this great stuff from the first eyewitness of John and Peter, like one of the disciples. We have all these great, I mean, this is solid stuff that capture the theology and spirituality of what we experience with Jesus. Let us now take that and bind it together, and, and, and let us bind it together with our Jewish Bible. Why did the early church want to say, okay, let's take this, and let's, let's, let's glue it together with the Jewish Bible? Why did the early church say that? Because they found some edification now with the Old Testament, with the Jewish Bible, and now they've connected it with its fruition, its completeness, the whole picture through the New Testament. Hear me out on this. The Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, this story, comes alive through the New Testament. This Jewish narrative comes alive through the New Testament. The New Testament lays hidden within the Old Testament. Let me, both complement each other. Like, I, I want us to understand, because it's easy for us to say, man, the stories of Old Testament, like the Adam and Eve and Jonah and whatever, uh, Moses and Abraham, those are good for Sunday school lessons, but, but now we just need to focus on Jesus. I get it. Well, my first question to you is, then why did the early church glue the Jewish Bible with these manuscripts of early Christianity? Why did they staple it together? Like, why, is it, why, why, why not just say, here are the four records we have of Jesus' life, here's some writings from an early missionary named Paul, and call it a day? Why did the church, like, ask the questions. Then I need to acquire the mind of the church. The Old Testament comes alive due to the New Testament. Like, if I, if, I've, if I had a Jewish mindset, and that's where I am, I'm at, this story is just nice. But now, because of, the Old Test, because of the New Testament, this story now is life to us. For us to move forward of how we look at any Old Testament story, 
I want us now to look th at things from three perspectives. The lens, for us to have the appropriate lens, for us to have the appropriate assessment, and for us to understand the meaning. Forgive me, this might be a little bit uh, uh, advanced or scholarly, but I want us to have a healthy understanding. How can we view the readings of the Old Testament? I want to make this clear, especially as we begin the journey of, of, of Holy Week, when there is a tremendous amount of Old Testament readings. Why don't we just focus on Jesus? Isn't it all about Jesus? That's it. I'm with you. But why don't we look at the complete view in the mind of the church for us to gain more edification and, and, and benefit from it? As far as the lens that we need, there's a difference between exegesis and eisegesis. What do I mean by that? These are kind of weird words. Exegesis means I need to look at the lens. When I read something, I ask myself, how does this, uh, what's, what can I gain from the context? What can I gain from, from, from these texts? As opposed to me putting something in it. Eisegesis is like, I'm reading Genesis, I'm like, okay, but where are the dinosaurs? That's a legit question. That's a very legit question. But the primary lens of how I need to look at Jewish manuscript is say, how can I pull out meaning from this? This is exegesis. That's the lens of how I need to look at Scripture. The assessment. Assess the context and purpose when reading Judeo-Christian manuscripts. Assess the context and the purpose. For example, if I'm looking at the missionary work of St. Paul the Apostle, I have to understand, okay, why did he really write to the city of Corinth? Like, why? Like, why? And why did he have to send them another letter? Did they, did they, like, did they lose the first one? Like, wh wh why? Like, why did he take time to write this manuscript, a letter to the city of Corinth? So I need to assess the context and the purpose of when I'm reading Judeo-Christian manuscripts. Look at the totality of the thought process of the writer. So put yourself in the, in, the, in the mind of Paul, the apostle. Why is St. Paul writing in this way? Why is he addressing this? Why is he addressing what he's saying about women? That seems very sexist. Well, what's the historical context? What's the audience? What's the nature of him to, to address this topic? Let us assess everything, but we need to have a, a holistic view as we read something. And now as far as the meaning. I need to look at the meaning from three different perspectives. I need to look at things literal, which is what really happened in the story, which has been the basis of why we're looking at the book of, of Tobit. What really happened in the story? Okay, there's Daddy Tobit, married, uh, he, he, he goes blind, he tells his son to go get some cash, and then he also gets married to this girl who's been engaged seven times. That's the literal, I need to look at it from that perspective. I need to look at the morality of the, of the lesson. What, what moral can I gain? If I look at Tobias, how he was so humble to receive the advice that his dad gave him, that, that I can take that and be like, man, do I walk around thinking that I, I know everything because I'm a priest and I, I got everything under control? I can take a moral lesson from that. And then now, the spiritual, the spirituality. How do I see the imprint of God? How do I see the divine in this narrative? This is where we find life, when that becomes the lens. Yes, we need to approach reading scripture from all of these, but what drives everything ultimately at the end is asking the question, how does this bring any type of edification? How does this pull out a better version of me? How does this make me pursue the age to come? How does this make me find the God-man, Jesus, in this? This has to be the driving force. I cannot tell you. And you've had these discussions. You've heard people say, well, I've walked away from faith because X, Y, Z in the Bible. Or, you know, I, I, I'm okay with everything, but I disagree with this. 
I'm with you, and I totally respect that. But we need to take a step back. And do we have, are we acquiring the mind of the church when assessing things collectively and holistically in the total view of how we are viewing these ancient, timeless writings? Just to give you one hint, one uh, Egyptian monk, the founder of, of monasticism, his name is St. Anthony the Great. St. Anthony the Great. He said these in the years 300. What is his assessment of angels? Like maybe one of your questions through all this. For real? Angels? Isn't that nice for like elementary school? Angels? You know what his, his response is? If I ask St. Anthony, now look at the meaning. Of his, he, 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 he looked at things literally, looked at the morality, and then the spirituality. This is what St. Anthony says. These are not my words. These are his words from the year 300. To see the angels is not a great miracle. <laughs> to see the angels is not a great miracle. But to see your own mistakes is a miracle. Think how profound that is. He's not stuck on, for real, is that really an angel? No. That those are all solid questions. But him, what's driving him of how he's looking at this narrative, or how he's looking at angels as a whole, he says, okay, great. If I see an angel, fabulous. Might be a little bit freaky, but okay. If I see, it, if I see one, great. If I don't, I don't care. What really is a miracle is that if I can see within me my own weakness, my own sins, my own insecurities, my own struggles, and I embrace that and I see that in front of me. Now, that is a miracle. I don't try to cover it up. I don't try to justify it. I don't try to be a victim, and I don't try to give myself excuses. Now, that is truly a miracle. My prayer is that we can have this mindset as we look deeper into the readings of Holy Week and not just blah, 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 Let's, like, is this homo over? Is this reading over? This is like foreign language to me. Like, can we just get to the Gospels? No. Like, ask yourself. Enter now. Acquire the mind of the church. Ask, okay, here are some timeless truths for my edification. Because I'm limited, but I'm pursuing the unlimited. How can I find any life in this reading? Maybe I don't understand all the details. And maybe I don't understand the historical context just yet. But where can I find life in this reading? Imagine if I interview St. John the Apostle. Imagine if I inter interview this first eyewitness of Jesus. And, he, and I interview him. Like He's probably 85 years old. He's getting ready to wrap up his writing of the Gospel of John. And I ask him, John, let's be real. You for, you for real. John, you think, seriously, you're an old man. You saw a lot of stuff. Do you really believe? You really believe? A girl was engaged seven times, and they all happenly to die, they die on, on their wedding night? Do you really believe a man was swallowed? Do you really believe there was a worldwide flood? Do you really believe that, John? What would John, the apostle, the evangelist, the gospel writer, you know what he would tell me? I, 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 I'm going to, knowing his thought process in theology and his writing, this is what he would say. These are great questions, Father Nathaniel. I'm not dismissing them at all. But one thing I do know, I was a Jewish man, and I knew all those stories that you mentioned. Yes. But now I experienced a rabbi, a teacher of these stories. I saw the teacher bring life to these stories. I had tons of meals with him. I've seen people not like him. I've seen him do supernatural events, which I ended up recording as a first eyewitness. There's a lot of things I saw and I was kind of hesitant, to be honest, Father Nathaniel, about the whole thing. Then when he died, it got me a little bit more hesitant. 
if all this was legit or not, or did I just really waste a year and a half of my life? But then when I saw it in myself, when I, when I, when I ran, and when I outran actually Peter, and, we, and I came to the tomb, and I saw that it was empty, that changed everything for me. And my life was not the same. Because everything I experienced now, an exclamation point was added. Because now I saw the reality of God. The God that I knew, Yahweh, that I knew from all, everything I knew from my Jewish Bible, yeah. Now I saw him in person. I saw, his, I saw a new definition of love. I saw a new definition of life. Now I'm all into him. Great questions about the worldwide flood. Great questions about Sarah, which she really engaged seven times. Great questions about Jonah and the belly of the whale. Great questions. But now I have confidence in those stories. Maybe history can tell us some things. Yeah, maybe archaeology can tell us some things. But now I have more confidence in those stories because of me experiencing this rabbi, who I thought was a rabbi. Now I realized he is the divine in skin. And to me, that changes everything. This is what gives me confidence of the Jewish scripture. This is what I feel St. John would tell me if I asked him. What drives us looking at the Old Testament is a Christological lens. The Old Testament comes alive through the New Testament. Like to us, this story is meaningless, and I don't say meaningless, is dry. The ceiling is set low if it's just a, a cute Hollywood story. But what drives it is now a Christological lens. This icon, which has been the main graphic for this series, you see Archangel Raphael. You see Tobias with a string in his hand. It might be a little bit small for you, but he's holding a string in his hand. And he's holding a rod as if he is a shepherd. And, can, and who's holding the string? Anybody want to guess who's holding the string on the other side? Sarah. Tobias was sent on a mission from his father to restore, to redeem, to heal humanity. And he pulled Sarah and brought her to life. This, my friends, is the Christian narrative that the Father sent his Son to heal you and me. So now, the spiritual lens, the Christological lens of this story is I am Sarah. You are Sarah. In which we try to get married, not literally, we tried to get married seven times to our phone, to habits, to unhealthy habits, to being busy, to career-driven, financial, financially driven. We tried to find our st being status-driven. We tried to be married, to try to find companionship, completeness. We tried to find life and meaning through such a wide array of different things. And we end up falling short all the time. We're chasing a, 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 a movable object. But where we find life is in the eighth marriage. And this is why the eight is called the eight. Eight reflects a new beginning, a new start. We all fall into the trap of trying to find life and try to find meaning or try to pursue the next vacation, the next job, the, the next whatever for us to find completeness, for us to find companionship. If I just find that right person, I'll be good. If this just happens, if I just get the new phone, if I just get whatever, this trip, once we go on this trip, this will solve all our problems. We, this is our mindset. We live in a world where this is completely surrounding us all the time. But life is only gained when we surrender, as Sarah did, and says, I'm all in, Tobias. You are here to redeem me, to heal me. Let's do this.
Let us return to him who from the beginning of time desires you and me. This marriage, us finding, for us to be Sarah in this story, can only happen if we acknowledge that I'm trying to marry different things to find companionship. But it can only happen if I marry the eighth person. Let us seek the one in the eighth. Let us seek the one, our beloved, in the eighth. You might find this video weird, and I get it, and I respect that. I, we'll, we'll stand up to pray, and then I want to share with you a video that actually makes me very emotional when I watch it. It's a five-minute video of a sermon by His Holiness Pope Shenouda III. It is in Arabic, but with English subtitles. I don't know Arabic to save my life. But I love this video. I don't know if it's the music. I don't know what it is, but his words just penetrate to my soul. Again, you have every right to not stay for the video. It is a five-minute video. But I want us to pray, and then we'll sit down and then watch this video. And us watching this video and hearing the words of Pope Shenouda, I pray these words carry on in us through Holy Week, that we can see ourselves as Sarah, desiring to be healed, desiring to be saved, and for us to, to, to surrender to Tobias, and we can live out this resurrection icon where we come like this in order for Jesus to lift us from our wrist, but it requires the virtue of surrendering to him. Let us stand and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we are grateful that throughout the centuries that we have this beautiful Jewish manuscript of the story of Tobit, which has outlasted so many centuries, and it's with us today. Lord, I pray that we look at, at this story and all Jewish manuscripts by acquiring the mind of the church and the million-dollar question being asked and the lens in which we see the stories of saying, how does this bring life to me? How does this bring edification to me? I pray that this is the question in which we view this story and all narratives of, of, of Jewish scripture in order for us to find you in it. Lord, I pray that as we wrap up this series that we can pursue your love we can pursue the reality of who you are in the same way Sarah did in the story, that she came to you seeking life and coming to you with vulnerability, that we desire to come to you in this journey of Holy Week, which begins this Friday, that I pray that as we prepare ourselves and go through the last Friday of Lent, as we go through Palm Sunday, as we go through you being betrayed, as we go through you being on the cross, as we go through you trampling down death, that we're able to celebrate your resurrection in a new way. Lord, I ask that you bless our, the, the remaining of our fast and for us to see you in a new way this Holy Week. Through the prayers of all your sins, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one 
in Christ Jesus our Lord, for that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You can have a